Wow. I mean, what an incredible time to worship the Lord. What a great worship set. Do you, uh, there's just a buzz in the air. You know what I mean? There is just something. God is just up to something. And when God is up to something, then his people can just be excited about uh, living life. Amen. Life is good. It's, it, it should be uh, something that we're excited to live. And there's a reason for that. Now, first of all, before I jump into this, my wife told me to not to forget to say thank you for all of the wonderful cards and all the things that you guys uh, gave me for my birthday. That was quite a treat. So uh, it was a great day last week, and uh, it'll be the last time I ever turn 60. <laughs> Hallelujah. But today, as Pastor Caleb told you, we want to talk about something that I'm just thrilled to talk about. So uh, put your watch away because you're not getting out at 1130. Okay, it's going to take a few extra minutes to, to do this. Okay, so I'm just telling you up front, but you're not going to be disappointed. Today we're going to talk about and we're going to learn about living in God's kingdom. You know, we live upon the earth, but we're just sojourners, the Bible says. We people of God, we are just moving through from one dimension to another. Our ultimate dimension is heaven, but uh, the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. And so while we're here on earth, God has given us uh, a great power and authority, a great hope, uh, everything that we need to be productive for the king is here on earth. Today we're going to talk about what is this kingdom that I'm talking about because it's a concept in many people's minds but it's a reality to those who grasp a hold of it. And so we need to understand that the kingdom of heaven is uh is our uh it's our eternal prize. But the kingdom of earth is the place that we live and have dominion. We walk in his glory. He gives us provision. The Bible says he pro provides us with joy. And most of all, he gives us opportunities to do great things for the king. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. I'm just going to outline a couple places to where this kingdom is, is talked about. So when we look at Mark chapter 1 verse uh, 14, and the reason why I'm starting here is because this is where the king or, or the kingdom came back into play. Now, God developed this idea of the kingdom before there was anything existing in his invisible world where God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit and 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 God, the Son lived. There was always a kingdom concept. But how many of you realize that every place that there's a kingdom, there is expansion that goes along with that. And so in God's place of expansion, the Bible says that God uh, created the heavens and the earth. And in his idea of creating the earth, he was creating us, his, the people that love him and, and he loves us. He was creating us to have dominion over this place of his kingdom. And as a matter of fact, he was making us the kings and rulers of this kingdom. And then we know the story of Adam and Eve and, and, and all the dominion that Adam had received from God. He gave up in, in one uh, opportunity of having to make the right decision. He walked away from the precepts of the Lord and the dominion of that kingdom then was, uh, was removed from the place where man walked but not the idea of the kingdom and not the purpose of the kingdom, not what God wanted to create. And when Jesus came to the earth, it was to renew our dominion in that kingdom. Now the kingdom uh, idea or the concept, as I said before, was something that was created even when God was in the invisible world and he was making visible the things of who he was. The Bible calls him the king of glory. We sang about that today. The Bible says that he is the ancient king. As a matter of fact, he's the oldest king that has ever lived because he has been king in the invisible and the, in, and the visible kingdom from the beginning of time. So the Bible tells us that, as I said before, he created the heavens on the earth and he created this physical universe for his kingdom to expand in. Now, what does it mean to 
live in a kingdom? What does a kingdom have to have in order to exist? Well, number one is this. A kingdom has to have a king. And our king is Jesus, okay? That, that's the basis. Number two, the kingdom must have a constitution or something that we live by. We have a constitution. It's the word of God. The third thing a kingdom must have is a code of ethics or keys that make the kingdom operate. We have those keys. As a matter of fact, in, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said he was going to give us the keys to the kingdom, it wasn't that he was going to give us a physical key that unlocked the door. No, what he was saying was, is he was giving us the precepts and the authority to do what was going to need to be done to be the kings and priests and rulers of the earthly kingdom. He was going to give us access to those things. And so uh, uh, that we would have power to govern. The next thing that I want you to uh, understand right now is there are some concepts of a king that you must understand in order to live in the midst of this kingdom. Now, first thing that you need to know about a king is that a king is never voted into power. Okay, a king is never voted into power. And so if a king is never voted into power, then a king can never be removed. Amen. And our king is Jesus. And there's a, 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 a great move across the, the earth today to want to extract the king from his kingdom, to want to remove the king from what happens here upon the earth. But nobody can take out somebody that they did not put in. We have a Western culture that I'll talk about here in a minute that uh, doesn't allow us to fully grasp the concept of a kingdom because we don't have kings here in America. The second thing that we, we have to understand, I said that he's never voted into power. A king is a king by birthright, okay? And uh, the, the third thing that you need to know is that the king's word is law in the kingdom. The king's word is law in the kingdom. Whatever the king says, that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Laws in the kingdom, they are not created by a legislative group of elected officials that frequently change the rules to fit the place to where man wants life to be at that time. How many of you realize that most of the laws that we create are recreating a law that was already created because man doesn't want to live by the precepts of the past law, so he creates a different law? How many of you know that the Bible says that the heart of man is inherently evil? How many of you realize that when man is put in charge of creating something that is going to govern us, it's always going to result back to something that's going to not necessarily be the best for us, but make life easier for us. And you have to understand that that is not the way the law works in the kingdom. What the king says is the law. The fourth thing that you have to understand is this. In a king, in, in a kingdom, the king owns everything. Everything that's inside a, a kingdom is owned by the king. You know, the president does not own the United States, does he? He can be elected for four to eight years to govern the ways of the nation, but he does not own the nation. But a king does. A king owns everything in the country. He owns the land. He owns the animals. He owns the waterways. He owns everything in his kingdom. These are things that we have to understand to understand the culture of the kingdom. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to try to outline something here in this text of scripture that's going to show you a, a, a principle of our king and of our kingdom. So in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, the Bible says, This is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. 
for you have all you need and it will be provided such as food and water and clothing and everything the Bible needs. For those of us who have uh, taken any kind of college courses that is in sociology or psychology, uh, we, we've learned the idea of Maslow's Law. And Maslow's Law basically says that man exists and his idea or priorities are to gain food, to gain water, to gain land, to gain clothing, to have a home, to have security, and to have a place of self-actualization. And so when you continue to read about what God is saying here, he's going to go counterculture to everything that man thinks, and he's going to create a different pathway for us to understand him as king. He says in verse 26, consider the birds. Do they uh, think, do you think they worry about their existence? They don't uh, uh, plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? And so which one of you by worrying can add anything to your life? Let me ask you this, how many times in, two, in 2022 have you already worried about something? Well, when you begin to grasp uh, uh, the, the inside internal things of your life and of culture, and you begin to bring worry or anxiety or tension into the equation, you're automatically operating outside of the kingdom parameters. Because God has said to us that him as being our king, he goes on to say, why would you worry about your clothing? Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil. And yet, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was robed in the beauty like one of these. See, man is always trying to get to a place where God already is and try to uh, replicate or imitate it to the best of man's ability. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes that you need, you of little faith? Verse 41, 31 says this, So then, forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? Listen to verse 32. For that is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things your body requires. Why is that? Because the king of our kingdom knows exactly who you are, how you were created, what you need, and the king of our kingdom has purpose to provide for you whatever you need before you even have need of it. See, our problem is, is that we live in yesterday's personal failures, not allowing God to lead us into his place of our future destiny. See, when we become king, king, uh, kids of the kingdom, we become those who live under different rules and regulations. Now, verse 33 says this. Here's a kingdom principle. Here's a culture concept. Here is something that we need to hold fast to. This is something that has to be so deeply ingrained inside your life that it is one of your first go-to things that you do. So above all, consistently seek God's kingdom and what? His righteousness. Then what will happen? All of these less important things will be given to you how much? Abundantly, abundantly. What did Jesus say he was in John 10, 10? And when he talks about being the king of our kingdom, he says what? I have come to give you what? Life and what? Life, I wanna hear you. He came to give us life and what? Life abundantly. And so that's the same thing that's spoken here because that's a kingdom principle. Jesus was just re-emphasizing that when you seek God's kingdom first, all of those things that Maslow has said will be your number one thing to do. 
Number one thing to live your life for. The number one thing that your identity so often is wrapped up in. He said, quit majoring on the minor. What you need to major on is my kingdom and its righteousness. Then all of the less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time because tomorrow will take care of itself. Two kingdom principles. First, seek the king. The king of the kingdom is where every possible resource lays in front of your life. The king of the kingdom is where the, uh, the person who has promised us everything that we could have to live an amazing life is in the hands of the king. So why would you go anywhere else seeking for anything else? Number two, it says seek righteousness. Seek his righteousness. Now, righteousness sounds like a super spiritual word, but I want to bring it down into terms that we can understand. Righteousness means is to be rightly positioned in the authority of an operating government to be rightly positioned in the authority of an operating government. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. When you uh, pull out to the, the traffic light and it is red and you stop, you're operating under the precepts of the operating government of this earth. But when you go up to a red light and you uh, pull out of that and you go through the red light, right, you're breaking the, 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 the righteousness, you're breaking the positioned authority of the government that you're operating in. When we operate in God's kingdom, when we first seek him and then secondly position ourselves underneath of him, we're seeking to learn about the practices and the culture of the kingdom. Don't sin. Don't, uh, let, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, you, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, love your enemy and not try to get... Uh, uh, a piece of, or a pound of flesh from those who have wronged you. These are what the culture of the kingdom is all about. And these things that I'm talking about are things that are non-negotiable because these are concepts that our king has given us to live by. Seek a right relationship with God, living under his precepts and uh, of, of him as the king and of his culture and of his kingdom. We have to change the way that we think. Now, let me define and give you a definition of what a kingdom is. Okay, And before I talk about the definition of the kingdom of God, I would like to just say that a kingdom is not a democracy. A kingdom is not a democracy. The second thing I want to tell you that it's not, a kingdom is not a republic. These are things that mean a lot to us in a nationalistic sense. But the third thing that I want to tell you is, is that a kingdom is not a religion. A kingdom is not a religion. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God, if you're taking notes, is a governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his will, his purpose and intent, producing a citizenry of people who express his culture and his nature. A people, a citizenry, a, a group of people who are going to look like him and act like him and speak like him and walk like, like him. He is the, the governing influence of that territory. Now, let's think a minute just uh, for a minute. I told you that the kingdom of God is not a democracy. And the reason why I want to talk about the reason uh, or uh, uh, it's not a democracy or a republic is because those of us who live in the Western world, we have to understand what this is because we cannot change a kingdom rule with a vote. You have no vote in the kingdom. 
okay? What the king has laid out for us is the precept that we have to choose to follow. And the reason why this is difficult in the Western world is because when you don't like something, you arch your back, you march down High Street, you send letters to a senator, you uh, run for office yourself because inside of you is that will to say, I have a right to do these things. I am an American citizen. I have rights. But in the kingdom of God, that's not the case. You can't choose to believe what you want to believe or you can't choose to operate in the way that you want to operate. We've got a huge problem in the church today. We have a huge problem with the idea that we want our cultural dynamics to supersede what the Bible has to say about critical issues. And our church is not our church. The church is beginning to move away from being under the culture of a king and moving outside the parameters of that into a place to where the culture is dictating what the church does behind the pulpits and in its influence and in every place that we are. We are not called to look at the word of God and then choose which part of it that we feel is right or which part of it we want to follow. No, you see, our king is more than that. Let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 8 for just a moment. I want to look at a couple of other things that the Bible says that the kingdom is. Luke chapter 8. Let's see here. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. In verse chapter 1, when Jesus was ministering through the, the land, it says, Soon afterwards, Jesus began a ministry tour throughout the country, visiting cities and villages to announce what? The wonderful news of the kingdom of God. Now, when you look through the New Testament, uh, or through the Gospels and the book of Acts, you will see over 20 instances where it talks about this was Jesus' focus, this was the focus of the Apostle Paul, this was the focus of Peter, this was the focus of all of those who chose to give their lives to the king, they were reverberating the same message that the king was preaching. And he never preached a religious message. Never did he ever preach a religious message. We're going to look at that here in a moment. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. In verse 20, it says this. Jesus was asked once by the Jewish religious leaders, when will God's kingdom come? And Jesus responded, God's kingdom does not come simply by obeying principles or waiting for signs. The kingdom is not discovered in one place or another. For God's kingdom realm is already expanding within some of you. Later, Jesus addressed this again with his apostles saying, The time is coming when a great passion will be awakened within you to see me again. Yes, you will long to see the beginning of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't be able to find him. Jesus was speaking this message in this fashion to the religious leaders because all they were ever attempting to do was hold on to the control that they had over people's lives. And we're going to look at that too in a moment. Turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says about this kingdom. He says this in, in uh, verse 13 of, of Romans 14. Stop being critical and condemning of other believers. Must be a principle of the kingdom. But instead, determined to never deliberately cause a brother or sister to stumble and fall because of your actions. I know and am convinced by personal revelation from the Lord Jesus that there is nothing wrong with eating any food. But to the one who considers it to be unclean, it is unacceptable. If your brother or sister is offended because you insist on eating what you eat, 
It's, it's no longer love that rules your conduct. Why would you wound someone for whom the Messiah gave his life? So you can just eat or drink what you want. So don't give people the opportunity to slander what you know to be good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules. Write that down. Circle it. It's not a matter of rules about food or drink. But it is the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities pleases God and earns the respect of others. So then make it your top priority to live a life of peace and harmony in your relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. Stop ruining the work of God by insisting on your own opinions about food. What the Apostle Paul was trying to say is that the kingdom is much bigger than what you're trying to reduce it down to. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God is what we get to live in every day of our lives. What an exciting thing that is. 4.20, it says this, for the, kingdom of, uh, for the kingdom realm of God comes with power, not simply by impressive words. So which would you prefer? Shall I come carrying the rod of authority to discipline or with an em embrace in love with a gentle spirit? The Apostle Paul here is trying to break the religious mindsets of the people who weren't comprehending the depth of what the kingdom is all about. I told you that the kingdom is not a democracy or it's, it's not a republic. And the other thing it's not, as you can see, is it is not a religion. A religion is a set of rules. And we are not living under a set of rules. We're living at, at, in, in the place of a kingdom and the kingdom doesn't produce rules. It produces a culture. It produces a natural lifestyle. It produces the idea when you, you've heard me say so often to be supernatural should be normal because that's a precept of the culture of the kingdom. In the kingdom, in the culture that it produces, we are supposed to love one another. We are supposed to forgive and love our enemies. In our culture, we are supposed to give to the work of the king. Now, one of the things that gets so often confused in the idea about sowing into the kingdom is, is that are you sowing into a church or are you sowing into the kingdom? Well, let me help to uh, 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 maybe make it more clear. The Bible says that those of us who operate in the king, we are ambassadors of that kingdom. We are representatives of that kingdom. So when you come in to be a part of Redeemer's Church, what you are is you're becoming an ambassador and Redeemer's is simply an embassy from where the kingdom of God gets to operate out of. And in every embassy, it takes resources to do the work that that embassy is called to do to represent that kingdom. And so when you're sowing into the kingdom of God and bringing your, your resources into Redeemer's Church, you're not depositing them into something that is ran by me as your senior pastor. You're making your, your uh, uh, gifts into the kingdom that is ran by God. And Jesus is our king. Now, isn't it interesting that when we look through the word of God, and turn, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. I want to just talk for a moment about this. The true, number one, opposition to the kingdom of God is religion. Religion is not just a set of rules. 
But it's the number one opposition to the kingdom of God. When you read through the New Testament and Jesus is speaking to sinners, he says stuff like this. He says, where, uh, uh, where are your accusers now? He who, who has no sin cast the first stone. And he says to the sinner, where are your accusers now? Go and sin no more. See, one of the great things about the culture of the kingdom is the compassion of the king. And we live in a culture where we have a king that is extremely compassionate to those who are a part of his kingdom. But we also know this, that when Jesus walked the earth, the number one entity that he faced that was against him were the religious orders. In Matthew chapter 23, and I'm saying this because of this, you have to make sure that when you're walking with God, that you're not checking the box of rules. And you're not saying, well, today I didn't cuss. Great, I got that box checked off. And today, you know, uh, uh, I helped an old lady across the street. Wow, that's a great box. I must check that off. And, and today I gave $5 to the person on I-70 in Hamilton Road. So, wow, I checked that box off. And, and, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that, and I didn't do the other thing. But I did this, and I did that, and I did that thing. So that must have been a good day for me. See, God has removed us so far from that by bringing us into a kingdom that doesn't operate by rules, but it operates by creating a culture for us to thrive in. And so in Matthew chapter 23, it says, Then Jesus addressed both the crowds and his disciples and said, the religious scholars and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat as the authorized interpreters of the law. So listen and follow what they teach, but don't do what they do. For they tell you one thing and they do another. This is religion. They tie uh, on your backs an oppressive burden of religious obligation and insist that you carry them. Yesterday in our men's meeting, I told the men we were, were doing a series on Let's Talk and we're talking about finances. I said, if anyone comes up to this pulpit and demands your tithe, fire them. Fire them. This is not the pulpit of demands. This is the pulpit of culture and teaching people by operating in the kingdom of God under the kingdom's culture, this will be the blessings that come in your life. There's a, a difference. When we, when we hammer people by the place of rules, we create a place of condemnation. In Jesus' kingdom, there is not a culture of condemnation. He says this as a practice and principle in Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who love Christ Jesus and are called according to his purposes. So when we get in that right relationship with the king, then we understand that what, when we're receiving condemnation from somewhere else, that it's not from that culture and we can move away from that. If anyone is condemning, you are not bringing the culture to the place where you are at. Condemnation is not of God. They tie on your back the oppression of religious obligations that insists that you carry them, but will never lift a finger to ease your load. That's not a leader. What did Jesus say he came to do? He came to seek and to save that, what, that which was lost, didn't he? He said he came to give his life as a ransom for, uh, for us, didn't he? Those are principles of the kingdom. And when you operate in the culture of that king, then he wants you to walk in those same practices and being his hands and feet upon the earth today so that people can see the king through his people, through the royalty that he has made us. Everything they do is for show and to be noticed by others. 
They want to be seen as holy, so they wear oversized prayer boxes on their arms and foreheads with scripture inside. That must be quite a sight. And, and wear extra long tassels on their garments. They crave the seats of honor at a banquet at their meeting place. Now, what I'm, uh, uh, what I'm reading is still happening today in so many churches. The leadership has set themselves so far above the people who they're called to serve that it would take you 13 calls and 12 boards to get through to have a time to talk to the pastor. That's not the king. That's not the kingdom that we live in. See, how do we know that? Because we have direct access to our king. When he died on the cross, the veil was torn, and he gave us that open opportunity to have access to who he is. Amen? Amen. So when we go on to look what he is saying in verse 8, but you are to be different from that. You are not to be called master, for you have the only one master and all brothers and sisters, and you are not to be addressed as father. For you have one Father who is in heaven, and you are not to be addressed as teacher, for you have one teacher, the anointed one. The greatest among you will be the one who always, what? Serves others. Remember this. If you have a lofty opinion of yourself and seek to be honored, you will be humbled. But if you have a modest opinion of yourself and choose to, to humble yourself, you will, what? Be honored. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Now, what does he say to the religious leaders? Great sorrow awaits you, religious scholars, and you Pharisees, such frauds and pretenders. Listen to this. You do all you can to keep people from experiencing the reality of heaven's kingdom realm. Not only do you refuse to enter in, but you also forbid anyone else from entering in. Great sorrow awaits you, religious scholars, and you Pharisee, frauds and pretenders. For you eat up the widow's household with the ladle of your prayers, and because of this, you will receive greater judgment. See, there is a religion that people try to live under. There's a group of religious leaders that create rules that you can never measure up to. Or there is a kingdom of God that has a king that loves you desperately with everything that's within you. Now, isn't it interesting? We see that the religious leaders are those who uh, uh, are the ones that uh, come against this kingdom concept. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse 20. It says this. This is at the crucifixion of Jesus, okay? Who's crucifying him? Is it the, the government that is upset with him? Or is it the religious people who are upset with him? Why am I saying this to you? Because it's hard to live under the law. It's, it's impossible to have a freedom to come in and worship every Sunday morning if you've taken the last six days of, the, of last week to try to measure up to some kind of benchmark that somebody has set for you that they can't live their own life under. We need to learn how to be kids of the kingdom because of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, verse 20 says this, Meanwhile, the chief priests and the religious leaders were inciting the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be freed and to have Jesus killed. Who? The religious leaders. Why? Because it was all about control. That people were walking out from underneath their control into the place to where they were following the king and operating in a different kingdom. Folks, 
we live in a different principle and parameter. And our kingdom has a culture all of its own. So listen to this. So Pilate asked them again, okay? This is, the, this is the, 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 the head governmental guy of that area. Pilate asked them again. And he said, uh, which of these two men would you like me to release for you? And they shouted Barabbas. And Pilate asked them, then what would you have me do with Jesus who was called the anointed one? And they shouted back, crucify him. See, religion has attempted to kill the kingdom from the beginning of the time where Jesus began to walk the earth. And you have to be able to recognize when you see religion and when you see the kingdom. So why, Pilate asked, what has he done wrong? But they just kept shouting, crucify him. Now listen to this. When Pilate realized that a riot was about to break out and that it was useless to try to reason with the crowd, he sent for a basin of water and after washing his hands in front of the people, he said this, he said, I am innocent of the blood of this righteous man. This is Pilate calling Jesus the righteous man and the religious leaders calling him to be crucified. The responsibility for his death is now yours. And the crowd replied, let his blood be on us and on our children. Wow. You know, several years ago, Haiti devoted their country to the devil. The government proclaimed that this would be a, a, a country governed by Satan himself. And I don't think I have to tell you, if you follow the news at all, what the, the state of Haiti is. Why would you want to walk from out from under the authority of Jesus and allow religion to be your order? Mm. It's not the culture. It wasn't the king that was trying to bring Jesus down in front of, of their eyes, it was religious people themselves that were doing that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. And this might help you to understand a little bit about why we operate in the place of the kingdom under a king, knowing that a king sets the rules, knowing that a king owns everything. Knowing that a king uh, sets the, the laws and all of those things. And the king also creates a culture. It's important to know that because in Matthew chapter 8, we see this. And after he came down, oh, I'm going to go to, wait a minute, I don't want to start there. Let's start, let's start over here. Oh, -dum -bum 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 -bum. no, let's not start there. Okay, let's start at verse 5. When Jesus entered the village of Capernaum, a captain in the Roman army approached him asking for a miracle. What kind of system did the captain of the Roman army live in and under? He lived under the concept of a king. Now, you might not like the way that kingdom was ruled, or you might have things to say about that, but there was something that he understood because he understood the concept of a kingdom. When Jesus entered the village of Capernaum, a captain in the Roman army approached him asking for a miracle. And the Lord, he said, Lord, he said, I have a son who was lying in my home paralyzed and suffering terribly. And Jesus responded, I will go with you and heal him. But the Roman officer, he interjected this. He said, Lord, who am I to have you come into my house? Why was he saying that? Because he didn't know him? No, it's because he knew him. And why would I invite somebody like you, the king, to enter into my household? You see, the, the king of his kingdom would never lower themselves to go into the house of a subject. 
If a subject was going to come to the king, he would have to come to where the king was. This is the difference between our king and his kingdom. He was willing to go to the place to where the guy needed him to be. I understand your authority, for I too am a man who walks under authority and have authority over soldiers who serve under me. I can tell one to go and he'll go and another to come and he'll come. I command my servants and they do whatever I ask. So this is the key. So I know that all you need to do is stand here and command healing over my son and he will be instantly healed. And Jesus was astonished when he heard this and he and said to those who were following him, he has greater faith than anyone that I have encountered in Israel. Folks, to understand and operate in the place of the kingdom, you have to give the right place to the king. To understand the king and his kingdom and his culture, you have to put away your Western mindset that says you want to vote on everything that comes along the, 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 your, your life that has anything to do with this kingdom. You have no right to vote to change anything. And the good news is, is that everything that our king and his kingdom has, it's good for us and you would want to be a part of that king and a part of that kingdom and you would want to operate in the rules that he has set for you turn with me to first peter and have the worship team uh, come back uh, at this time and this is what first peter uh, chapter 2 verses 4 through 10 says and so keep coming to him who is the living stone Though he was rejected and discarded by men, but chosen by God and is priceless in God's sight, come and be his living stones who are continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God. For now you serve as holy priests, offering up spiritual sacrifices that he readily accepts through Jesus Christ. For it says in scripture, look, I lay a cornerstone in Zion, a chosen and priceless stone, and whoever believes in him will certainly not be disappointed. As believers, you know his great worth. Indeed, his preciousness is imparted to you. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected and discarded has now become the cornerstone and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock to trip over. They keep stumbling over the message because they refuse to believe it. And, it, and, and this they were destined to do. But you are God's chosen treasure. Listen to this. You are priests who are kings, a spiritual nation, set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you are his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Would you stand with me? We live in a different kingdom, folks. We live in a different culture. I'm so glad that as Pastor Caleb talked about that, we don't have to walk in fear because fear does not dominate the kingdom that we live in. I'm so glad that I can operate in a kingdom that God has given us promises and because of his promises that they are a principal part of his culture and a part of his kingdom, those promises are ours. I'm so glad that I live in a kingdom 
that has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live in this life. I'm glad that when our king speaks that we can hear his voice. I'm glad that when our king blesses, we can experience it. I'm glad to know that my king, he protects me and he keeps the devourer out of my storehouse. I'm so glad that my king has given me a position in his kingdom and he has called me an ambassador of the Most High God. Folks, we live in an incredible kingdom and we have an incredible king. And I want to encourage you as we move forward in 2022 to choose this day. Will you follow religious rules and will you try to check the boxes and will you try to do all those things that you think are right? Will you try to change those things in the king's uh, culture and in his kingdom that you don't like? And will you try to strive for your rights to be fulfilled? Or will you just say yes to the king? Yes to his culture, yes to his principles and practices, and choose that when this Bible says something from the king, that you will say yes and Lord, I will follow you. Father, today we thank you that we have an incredible king. We thank you that we can live beyond the concepts of the law and religion and rules and regulations, and that we can walk in the goodness of your culture. Father, today we press and choose to say yes to you. Yes to what you say, yes to where you're leading us, yes to the authority that we have to operate in and through your great kingdom. And Father, we say, use us as your servants to expand your kingdom even further because we know that kingdom expansion is your heart because you said it's your heart that none should perish, but that all should come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and the King of their kingdom. So, Father, we just pray that the King of our heart, Father, would govern and manage every part of our lives. Let's leave this service today making this declaration through song about this King that we love to serve. Let him be the king of your heart today. In Jesus' name.